Welcome to Fireside Nets with Spen and Nick, brought to you by Empire Sports Media. We are your hosts, Spen and Nick, and we have another episode for you guys this week. Not a ton happening, Nick, in Nets world, but I I will say this. We're 15 days away from training camp, and I don't think that anybody who roots for the New York Yankees or the New York Giants, or even the New York Jets for that matter, and is a Brooklyn Nets fan, wants the NBA season to get here as quickly and as fast as possible. Uh, I'm enjoying football, so whatever. Uh, did you watch the Giants game yesterday? Yeah, the Giants are terrible. I actually took a bet against my roommate that the Broncos make the playoffs and the Giants don't. Look, we're not a football podcast, so I won't get into it. But I was at the game. I'm a diehard Giants fan. Nick is a semi-Giants fan, semi-Broncos fan, I guess. Yeah, I'd say 50-50. And uh, so you were rooting for Denver yesterday. I was rooting for Denver because of my bet. And also, let's be real, the Giants have no shot at winning anything, so I'd rather win some money out of it than root for a team that has no chance. So, so that's what I was going to say. I don't have season tickets, but I know a lot of people with season tickets, and I get invited to one or two games a year uh, if I'm lucky. Definitely one, sometimes two or three. So today was or, – or I'm sorry, Sunday was one of those instances where I got invited. I don't think I've been to uh, the first game of the season in a long time, but I get invited. And then, you know, I'm tailgating. I'm doing the whole thing, and it just, it just gets to the point where – I know I'm going to be disappointed. Go go into the stadium. You know, game starts. We we I think we went up seven to three, and then after that, it was it was just downhill. Uh, again, we're not a football podcast, but as a Nets fan, you know, I think I think everyone understands when your team is disappointing year in and year out, it can be extremely frustrating. So not only are the Giants not great, it looks like the Yankees. Also kind of stink. They lost to the Mets in the Subway Series. I like to root for the Yankees. Uh, the, the Mets beat them two games to one. And there's not really a great team in New York. Zach Wilson looked okay for the Jets. That's what they have to hang their hat on. But the Jets lost to the Panthers. And they're all to, to Sam Darnold. And, Robbie uh, Anderson. Yeah, B- Robbie Anderson. Basically, I, I just – I think we all desperately need basketball season to get here. We need the Brooklyn Nets to get here. So I'll start I'll start with this. Nick. Well, here, let, the last thing I'll say about the football season is yes. yesterday, you know, was the opening Sunday football day. It wasn't the first game, first game was Thursday, but yesterday was kind of like the debut of football 2021. It's kind of the the best day and the worst day for fans because it's the best day because football's back, but it's the worst day because everybody gets their hopes up that their team, who's probably not going to do that well, might have some sort of turnaround, might just enter and all of a sudden be you know, much better than everybody anticipated and just blow their minds. So I think we as a Giants fan and my roommate is a diehard Giants fan was so pumped to watch the Giants game. And by the third quarter was like, all right, it's going to be a rough season. And kind of gave up, ordered a bunch of food. So it's, it's, it was really fun and exciting to start, but I could see all those fans of these shitty teams. I mean, look at teams like the lions who just got off and they looked horrendous. They had a, a late game comeback, but going to be a terrible team as well. Um, Patriots fans, which I enjoy seeing play poorly, which is great, but yeah, so, so the best and worst kind of day uh, to get your hopes up and then get your heart broken. And, and I'll say this. You know, 
as a Giants fan, I'm a realistic Giants fan. There are a lot of people who are delusional who think that if you put mainly the same product out there year in and year out, eventually you'll be successful. And that's what the Giants mentality has been since Gettleman took over. Gettleman builds these teams for the 1990s, and he's shocked when they don't perform. And I'm sorry, Daniel Jones might not be the guy. And I'm not going to – I'm not going to – kill him for their loss. It was not as much on him as it was just on the play calling, the defense not getting to Teddy Bridgewater at all. A lot of things went into it. But if you go into these seasons with Dave Gettleman and Daniel Jones and not a lot of changes and you expect the Giants to be great, I think you're just kidding yourself. But, Nick, this is a Nets podcast. I, I want, I want to get to the- We'll let Alex Wilson talk about the G-Man. We'll, we'll let our guy A. Willie talk about the Giants. He is, he is a diehard Giants fan, uh, and, and he is the CEO of Empire Sports Media, the blog that brings you guys fireside Nets. Check him out, Alex Wilson, ESM, on Twitter. All right, Nick, what are you looking forward to most for the start of Brooklyn Nets training camp? I want to see how LaMarcus Aldridge is feeling. I want to see how uh, some of these older guys, Patty Mills. I mean, obviously, I'm just on LaMarcus Aldridge because literally retired from the game and then unretired from the game within a span of six months, which is pretty bizarre. I don't know if that's really ever happened before. I mean, you have players like Gronk who come back in football. Uh, you have players like Michael Jordan, of course, who wanted to come back and keep playing basketball. But this guy was told by medical professionals to stop playing basketball and then told by medical professionals he can play basketball again. So I want to see how the Marcus Rogers feels. If he's playing uh, even close to how he was doing you know, a couple of years ago before he came to the Nets on the Spurs, um, a little out of his prime from the Blazers, but still a solid big man, then I'm hyped. All right? I, I, after that, um, just just want to make sure our guys, Kyrie, Harden, uh, are feeling healthy, um, feeling they can play, feeling like they're ready to go. I want to see if they're going to have any sort of minute restriction when we get back to the season. And after that, like I mentioned before, a guy like Patty Mills, a guy like James Johnson, um, how are these veterans going to come in? How are they going to look? Are they going to start you know, pushing and inspiring these younger players? So a lot to look forward to, but first and foremost for me is Aldridge's, Aldridge's health. Yeah, I. so you make a great point. I'm, I'm kind of excited to see how these new pieces fit, right? I don't think LaMarcus Aldridge is going to start at the five. What I'm seeing is the Nets would like to start Blake Griffin at the five, go go small with KD at the four. You round it out with Joey Harris at the three, Kyrie at the two, and Harden at the one. Um, so I want to see how they fit. LaMarcus Aldridge, Patty Mills, James Johnson, uh, Sequoia Dumboya, if he gets any time. If DeAndre Bembry makes the team, if he gets any time. I think the Nets still need to make one more cut. Um, I believe Reggie Perry was 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 also waived. I don't think he's going to be on on the roster. I, I think he's a free agent right now. But um, well, oh, they waived Jaleel Okafor. That was the big news from last week. So he got waived. So we know That's we're like not going to see surprising thing of all time. We're not. We, we all we all called that. We know we're not going to see Okafor in a Nets jersey again anytime soon. But now they have to make one more cut, and you're just not sure who it's going to be. Uh, but I'm excited to see these new veterans come in. What their roles will be. I'm excited to see what type of training camp cam thomas and dayron sharp have uh these are the two rookies that the nets drafted in the first round they had they had very solid summer leagues i mean cam thomas was the mvp or the co-mvp with davion mitchell in the summer league so i'm excited to see all that um but i'm mainly excited to see the big three consistently play together that's going to be the the biggest uh success, if you will, if the Nets can keep these three guys on the court healthy, 
keep him, you know, uh, not not rested, but just keep him fresh for, for the whole season and figure out, you know, where you can take minutes away if you need to rest Kyrie on this day, KD, whatever the case may be. It's a long, grueling season, but I'm just I'm excited to see our team healthy, focused, ready to go. We came up short last year, and I, I think there, there's not a team in the NBA that is more motivated to right their wrongs than the Brooklyn Nets right now. Are you excited to see Steve Clifford, former uh, Hornets Bobcats coach, come to the Nets as a coaching consultant? You can never have enough Steves. That's what I always say. And I mean that. My best friend in the entire universe, is his first name is Steve. My boss at my company, also a Steve. There's a lot of Steves out there, and I'm just happy that the Nets have two of them on their coaching staff. Steve Clifford, guy that a lot of players in the NBA liked playing for when he was in Orlando, Orlando or when he was in Charlotte, um, you know, has a great reputation around the league. We had some big shoes to fill when we lost Ime Udoka, when Mike D'Antoni retired. But I think, I think Steve Clifford is an excellent addition to this Brooklyn Nets organization, and uh, I think he's going to help his, his brother Steve Nash help, help him out a lot. I think Steve Clifford is actually a good coach. I think he has uh, hasn't had a great record over the past decade with a lot of teams because he's kind of known as that guy that comes in and grooms younger players, um, and he kind of takes what he has, makes the most of it. He's never been given uh, a bunch of real superstars, to be honest. I mean, who's the last best player he had might have been Kemba Walker, who I've talked about in the past, is not a superstar. He does not shoot the ball at an efficient rate. He's a volume shooter. He's a, he's a glorified Brandon Jennings. So I'm excited to see Steve Clifford join the squad, and I think when it comes to a coaching perspective, uh, coach by committee, I, I think that's a great mentality. When we had Antonio, when we had Jacques Vaughn, um, I like the formation of a bunch of different perspectives, especially Steve Nash, who is still, you know, what at this point? Second second year, sophomore coach, third-year yep. coach? Second, second year. Second so, year, yep. So, you know, bringing in these veteran coaches, you know, same thing as bringing these veteran players can only really improve our younger guys and our young coaches as well. Not a ton, really, in the Nets universe news-wise. Blake Griffin was on J.J. Reddick's podcast recently. Uh, I believe it's called, let me get the name of it, it is called The Old Man and Three podcast. So some interesting quotes on there. The first uh, was about the whole dunking controversy, how Blake Griffin had it dunked in a long time and the media made a big deal about that. Uh, The Old Man and the Three. The Old Man and the Three. The old man in the three. I thought that Griffin's quote about it was very funny. He says, everyone's like, he hasn't dunked in over a year. I'm like, I haven't played in over a year, but I played those 19 games with the Pistons and didn't dunk. And that just pissed me off because you guys know the stat. And the stat Griffin is alluding to is announcers would say, Blake Griffin hasn't dunked in 400 days. Well, Blake Griffin didn't play in the bubble. And he played 19 games in that season with the Pistons in which he didn't dunk. So instead of saying, hey, he hasn't dunked in 19 games, they were saying he hasn't dunked in 400 days, which is just a weird way to measure it. And that, that was that's what Griffin was saying. So he said, that just pissed me off because you guys know the stat. You're just choosing to be like, let's do days instead of games, which is, which is kind of a funny take on that because we never really hear – the players' side when the media criticizes them for something. And, I mean, it's super, this is like the most. Yeah. This is such a little like grab grab headline that people ran away with, right? The press loves making big deals out of, of you know mountains out of molehills, as the expression goes. It's such a stupid stat. It's such a stupid fact. I mean, 
if someone's playing efficiently, if someone's doing their job and they're playing, like, even if he did play only 19 games, who gives a shit if he dunked it or not, right? They're just looking for something to poke the bear, looking to get under Blake Griffin's skin. In a sense, I'm almost happy they did because he came out firing not only on the book and ads as a dunker, but as a charge taker, which I didn't know was in his game previously. So maybe all of this kind of crap on him not having the athleticism or the grit or, or the aggressiveness that he had in the past that dunking entails, maybe that motivated him to really start getting on the ground and playing a little dirty or a little scrappier on this Nets team. That's a great point. Um, he also dunked the first game he played for Brooklyn. It was against Washington, top of the oh, key. The fuck you, dunk. Put a move on Robin Lopez, boom, hammered it home. So, um, you know, his time in Detroit was weird. I mean, he brought them to the playoffs one year. He was He was arguably the best player on that team in the last three or four years. And then – he got hurt. Injuries happened. You know, he agreed to a buyout with the team and he joined the Brooklyn Nets. And and um, he's going to play a key role for the Nets this this upcoming season, just like he did in the playoffs. But I, I, I want to get to one other quote he had talked about how ridiculous Kevin Durant is at basketball. Here's what Blake said about his, his Nets teammate. Honestly, he just does stuff all the time where you're just like, what? Why, why would he just? The stuff that's most impressive to me is the dribble-dribble, pull-up mid-range with a hand in his face and just hit it. He's just so unaffected by any defender. I have never seen a player be less affected by somebody than Kevin Durant. So I want to start out by saying, do you think that that's an accurate statement, that there isn't a player in the NBA who's ever been less affected by a defender than Kevin Durant? Yeah, I mean, Kevin Durant is almost unstoppable. We, we've talked about this so many times in the sense that he has guard abilities in like a 6'10", 6'11", build, right? Nobody knows his real height. He'll put it, he'll fake that he's shorter. And then people say he's seven feet in shoes, but let's just call him for the sake of the show, 6'11". And he's really could play a two or a three if need be. And he has the body of a four. Uh, if not someone who could step in as the five, he's really not thick. He's not, he's not really a powerful guy down low, but you know, if need be on a shorter lineup, he could be that guy. So yeah, I mean, in a sense, who is going to guard him that's going to be able to get a hand in his face up and down the court unless you want them to get blown by, right? You put a big body on him, he's going to dribble the shit out of him and, and cross him up and take him to the rack. You put a small body on him, he literally doesn't need to get by you because he can shoot over you. So not surprising the least. We've seen this a thousand times. We've seen him from every area on the court literally just catch the ball and, and rise because when he probably rises, he, might, he must be eight feet in the air. So um, not surprised at all, but it's really cool to see other professional players, you know, other all-stars like Blake Griffin, who at one point was probably a top 10 player in the NBA in his prime, um, saying another guy that he, he's not only on the same team, but could be a put in the same league in terms of best players the last 10, 15 years is still in awe by this guy. Right. And it just goes to show that there's always going to be levels and tiers. You know, if Damian Lillard is, is a slightly better point guard than right now, then you'd say, I don't know, um, Steph Curry, uh, not uh, say Russell Westbrook, just in terms of like clutch shooting, you know, Russell Westbrook might say, I could never shoot like that. And you'd say, yes, but you're so much better at so many other aspects of the game. My point being, it's cool to see players so impressed with other players that uh, when they're all kind of the best in the world. How about the finals MVP from last year? Giannis Antetokounmpo, after Durant went off in game five in that series, Giannis went on the podium and he said, Kevin Durant's the best basketball player in the world. Um, when I think of like, not only dominance from a scoring standpoint, but like Blake Griffin says, unaffected by the defender. I think of Shaquille O'Neal. Like he's the first person that comes to mind because it did not matter who was, who was guarding Shaq. I mean, the only guy who I think kind of slowed down Shaq was a Yao Ming 
when, when Yao Ming would defend him. Yao Ming and Shaq had some great battles. But I think of that clip. I forget the player on the Knicks, but but Shaq just destroys the guy uh, and basically like throws him to the ground in one motion after he dunked on him, posterized him. And uh, it, it's just these guys were like nothing to Shaq. Shaq was just going to dunk it over you. So I think in a weird way, when I think of Durant's dominance and his ability to just rise up over every defender in the league, I mean, we saw him cook. Giannis on a few possessions in that series the only other guy that comes to mind from a from a unaffected by the defender standpoint is Shaq like you look at you look at Steph you look at D-Lil you look at uh even Kobe like all these elite scorers over the last several years not that they could be stopped but they could be affected you know what I mean Kobe Bryant is an is an all-time great player some people have him in the top five top ten Kobe had to work so hard to get his buckets. It wasn't, what am I trying to say here? It's not like Kobe could just rise up over anybody and and hit a shot. I mean, he could, but it wasn't as easy to him as it is to KD because KD has four or five more inches on Kobe. That's what I'm trying to say. No one played the center position like Shaquille O'Neal did because nobody was as dominant, as forceful, and as gigantic as his torso was. Is what I'm saying making sense? Yeah, slightly. Uh, I, I'd say, I mean, you could also say the whole Steph Curry case too. Is Steph Curry, people are in awe watching Steph Curry because he somehow gets shots off at his size, which is almost... Uh, and, almost and, and, and same with Kyrie Irving. Yes. Same yes. thing. I'm not, I'm not saying these guys aren't amazing shot makers. I'm saying that they're not unaffected by the defender like Kevin Durant isn't yes. affected by the defense. That's what I'm trying to say. Same with Shaq. All right, moving on. Um, oh, real fast. Is Blake the coolest guy on the Nets? No. Who's the coolest guy on the Nets? Blake's pretty cool. Blake comes off as the kind of guy, and, and I've seen his uh, interviews with Barstool, pardon my take. He comes off as the guy that you you just want to have a beer with and like watch he's the also game. He's the, uh, the Comedy Central roasts, which is funny, and he's a pretty funny guy. He was he was great on those. I don't know. It, yeah. I was gonna I was gonna say he's the most Hollywood, but I mean, there's no way like Harden, KD, even Kyrie, in a sense, like they're a little bit more Hollywood than Blake at this point. Um, but I don't Griffin, know. It, Griffin has done the most outside of basketball. He's done the most acting. He's done the most talk show things. So I think his piece dated a kind of morsel of the of the well known celebrities, you know, given the Jenners. So I, don't I know. think he's more Ky- of a Kyrie. Kyrie was in Uncle Drew, and Kevin Durant yeah, was in that really yeah. awful basketball movie. Was it Thunderstruck? Also, women find Blake Griffin like unbelievably attractive. He's like it's yeah. like him and Ben Simmons are like the the best looking guys in the NBA, according to you know Ky- uh, Kendall Cos- Jenner. Cosmopolitan. And yeah. Kendall Jenner, yeah. According to Kendall Jenner. All right, uh, moving on. This is a little, little nostalgia for you, but uh, former Nets forward, guard, whatever you want to call him, Timothy Luau Cabarro has signed a non-guaranteed contract with the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, TLC was a punching bag for Nets fans. He would make these horrible, terrible mistakes, turnovers, commit these atrocious fouls, and then every now and again he'd hit a huge three, He'd have some great layup, which would make you think maybe, just maybe he can be a contributor on this Nets team. Lo and behold, the Nets got a lot better in the offseason. They got a lot more guards, and there was not a roster spot for TLC. Is there any part of you that is slightly sad about TLC not being a Brooklyn Net? 
No, if anything, I'm happy and surprised that he's still in the NBA. I, I, I like TLC. He's a hard worker. He's honestly has good footwork and he knows he's a very good off ball. He gets himself open. The only problem was he just couldn't hit the shots. Like he literally would, would, uh, would run baseline off a screen, end up nice like baseline perimeter three wide open, and he would just always either rim it out or he'd be start super off and then eventually hit some later on. Um, just his field goal percentage was just so low. His efficiency levels were low. And then he started to get in his own head. He got nervous with the ball and started turning it over. It was kind of a, a snowball effect. So, you know, I will always remember he had some solid games in the bubble, and that's where we started really yelling out TLC and, and singing the TLC No Scrub song. But uh, at this point, to me, he's like a Jula Okafor. He's going to bounce around, get waved, and hopefully find a place where he even just gets enough minutes to impress people, right? It, it's not even a matter of – I think he has the skill. At this point, it's just the mentality. Um, and if the Hawks give him 10, 15 minutes a game and he could shoot 43% from three, then he'll have a spot on the roster. But if he doesn't, you know, uh, scrape the surface of 40% from the field, he's replaceable. Um, and at that point, you know, I, I can't blame them for dropping him, although I wish him the best. TLC was a streaky shooter who didn't do much outside of shooting which made him extremely tough to watch, especially on nights when he wasn't hitting the shot because he wasn't passing the ball well. He wasn't rebounding the ball. He wasn't He wasn't a great defender. He was an average defender. Even though he sort of has the intangibles to be a really good defender, he wasn't. So I if mean, he, listen, wasn't, he was a he was a poor man's Landry Shamet, and Landry Shamet was a poor man's Joe Harris, so we don't need all those guys. Landry Shamet. Um, shout out to Landry Shamet. I, I think he's going to have a really good year over in Phoenix. All right. Finally. We're going to end the show with a little segment I like to call Shocked or Duh. Alex I actually Schiffer. have a segment I'd like to add after that, but I'll let you go first. Alex Schiffer of The Athletic and Jake Fisher of the Bleacher Report uh, company, Media Blog. They had some notes on some recent, I believe it was a, a Sean Marks press, presser, or there were some things that they took away um, and, and I have, you know, some, some notes. So I wanted to read them to you. These are things that the everyday casual fan might not have known. They were sort of things going on inside the front office that were uh, then explained by Sean Marks or, or by someone in the media. I don't exactly remember the source, but these are all pretty, uh, pretty accurate. So I will start with this. The signing of LMA was a KD influence. When he got bought out, only Miami was a true contender to sign him besides the Nets. He was rumored to get cleared in August. He was only going to sign with the Nets. Shocked or duh? I don't really want to say duh like that. Um, I guess I guess more duh than shocked. Uh, I am I, a little more shocked that a bunch of teams weren't fighting harder to get him. Um, but also once teams realize that players have a certain bias, they kind of back off and don't waste their time. So... Uh, I guess uh, he had one opportunity with the Nets before, got cut short like we talked about. It would really only make some sense for him to kind of come back and fill that role uh, that he kind of was 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 ready and excited to be a part of a championship contention team. So I'll lean towards duh. I would also lean towards duh. LaMarcus Aldridge went to Texas. So did Kevin Durant. They got that Texas connection. I, I think they've stayed relatively close throughout their professional careers. I think. I don't know that. But I feel like if you went to Texas, you got that bond, and and it was nice of uh, – uh, and, and it makes sense. I mean, you know, KD knows what LaMarcus is capable of, and, and if he's going to be healthy, why wouldn't KD kind of go to Marks and be like, hey, you saw what he did last year. Let's bring him back this year. So I'm, I'm with you on that, duh. All right, next up, Patty Mills signing 
was a Sean Marks factor and the Spursian factor. Again, not shocked at that at all. Um, again, played with Aldridge. Veteran wants to win a championship. Um, I guess another one here. He has one. But, no, it makes sense for him to come to the Nets. Why would you got to come to a team where you're guaranteed to get playing time as a veteran guard and also compete for a championship? Well, why do you say not shocked? Why can't you just say the D word? Oh, sorry. Duh. Thank you. All right. Fisher thinks that Millsap is the underrated offseason move. He was not coming here if DeAndre Jordan was here. He needed a defined role for minutes before signing. Um, this isn't really like a fact. This is this guy's opinion. I'm going to say I'm shocked by this only because I don't think it was an underrated offseason move. Clearly, Denver didn't want to bring him back. There weren't a ton of teams interested in Millsap. I don't know if underrated is the word to describe this. I would say I'm shocked by Fisher's take that this is underrated, but I think he, I don't know. I, I just, I understand what he's saying. Like if, if, if Jordan's still here and that front court's a little bit more crowded, maybe Millsap signs elsewhere, but at the same time, is Millsap a guy who's going to play over Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge and Nick Claxton? I don't think so. No, I feel weird about the Millsap thing. So I can see where they're coming from, but where else would Millsap go? I'm trying to think like, would he go to a shitty team just to get minutes at this point in his career? No, he would only come to the nets to get a ring. Uh, I'm not surprised other teams weren't vying for him to be honest. Cause like I said, he was on his last leg. I've talked about in the last few podcasts. He diminished very quickly from a starter to a 50 to 20 minute, almost non-factor, especially on a Nuggets team that's on the rise in terms of young talent. So um yeah, I'll, I'll stay neutral on this one because I can understand both sides. I'm, I'm happy to have Millsap, but to me, I, I understand why other teams weren't fighting hard for him. All right, moving on. The Nets didn't want to sign DeAndre Jordan to a four-year deal initially. They were willing to sign him to a two-year deal, but the KD Kyrie pushed for his signing. So if you remember, when they signed uh, the, big, the big two, they also signed DeAndre to a four-year, $40 million deal. Um are you shocked or is this obviously duh? It's an obvious duh. Yeah, I don't think we have to talk much about this. Moving on. Once the Harden trade happened, he was surveying who he could play with and couldn't play with. DeAndre Jordan was a main issue with him. Really? I guess I'm kind of shocked at that because the alley-oop factor is like huge part of both their games. But I guess I could see the DeAndre Jordan like, Pick and pop, pick and roll, one, two, factor. I mean, he's terribly, terrible footwork, DeAndre Jordan. You really never know, never knows where to be on the court. So I guess I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised only because you saw those moments where Harden was talking to him on the bench. And I don't think that was like a trying to coach him moment. I think that was a, like, hey, man, if I throw you this fucking ball, you better catch it and dunk that shit. Like you saw Harden visibly get frustrated with Jordan on numerous occasions. So I'm, I'm not as shocked by this. I think this was a dumb moment. Um, Jordan was being shopped at the trade deadline and was being shopped heavily at the draft. He had no trade value. Duh. Duh. Yeah. Did you see him? I mean, he lost his starting job to Jared Allen and then got it back because Jared Allen was traded. So duh, no, no, no fucking shit that half these teams didn't want to trade for him. If the nets didn't even want to really start him. DeAndre Jordan also, uh, you know, speaking to Laker Nation the other day uh, was an article that came out about him just wanting to get time, and that's why he left. He, I don't think he has any negative feelings towards the Nets. He was just like, I, I want to play and compete, and I'm not going to be able to do it here. He said something about, uh, you know, him and KD and Kyrie and, and Harden always being brothers, and I, I thought that was really nice. Yeah. Um, the Nets were looking to get 
Mason Plumley at one point. Duh, Mason Plumley's nice. I like his game. He's a hustler. He's a, he's a gritty. He's freaking tough, man. Duh, because Mason Plumley was on the Pistons, and the Nets are literally taking every single Piston that ever existed. I think Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars might sign with the Nets soon. Da-dum. That was a bad joke. All right, moving on. The Nets' view of a big man is to be able to space the floor. They tried it with Jared Allen, but it did not work. They have tried it with Claxton, and it has not worked as they would have liked so far. That's why they drafted Sharp. Duh, yeah, I mean, that's why they also have Marcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin. They want those stretch players. So uh, I'm not surprised at all. That's going to be the best type of player that rolls with Harden, Kyrie, and Durant. They want mobility. They don't want anybody stagnant down low. They don't want to be clogging the paint. It, it makes total sense, and it's a smart move. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, Sharp was talking recently in an interview how he is very confident in his shooting ability. I didn't really see that during summer league, but you know maybe he'll prove us wrong when the regular season comes. Um, starting five will consist of, and I mentioned this earlier, Harden, Irving, Harris, or Bruce Brown, Kevin Durant, and Blake. Blake is your starting five. Harrison Brown will battle it out for the other position. I'm actually kind of shocked at that because I would say if LMA is healthy, I'd start him over Blake any day, but I'm guessing they're going to test the waters. He just came back after that weird medical condition. So I'll be patient on that one. But if he's fully healthy, once he starts playing, I wouldn't be surprised seeing him slide into that starting five position. And why, why would Bruce Brown start at the three when you have Joe Harris, a knockdown shooter, who's going to clearly get open looks given the, the attention every other superstar on the team needs. So Bruce Brown, to me, would be a little shocking, especially to start. I know Joe Harris was not clutching that playoff series and, and got a lot of shade. Um, but to me, that's not enough to start him on the bench. I think that would be ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. I mean, I like – I like Bruce Brown if you need a change of pace, if you need energy injected in your starting lineup. You know, you saw that game against Utah last year where the Nets started the game on like a 20 to four run or something. Bruce Brown was phenomenal in that first quarter. Uh, but from a consistency standpoint, I agree with you. I like a, a guy who can knock down threes playing alongside three of the best scorers in the league as opposed to uh, Bruce Brown, who's been working on his three-point shot. That's been a point of focus for him this offseason. But at the end of the day, um, he just can't give you what Joe Harris can give you on offense. All right. The Nets were looking at obtaining Sikau Dumboya during the Shamit Brown deal, but the Pistons pulled him from the deal. He is no lock to make the team. Shocked or duh? Don't care. Okay, I'm going to say, duh, that he's no lock to make the team, but I will say that they probably would keep him over DeAndre Bembry, would be my guess. And then he's finally, he's really the worst player on the team right now. I'm, I'm not concerned. Finally, the Nets view Javon Carter as the third point guard. They viewed him as an insurance. If Bruce Brown left, they wanted an upgrade over Mike James. Shocked or duh? I mean, I'm looking at the roster right now. I guess, duh, he's definitely an upgrade on Mike James. Uh, behind Irving, of course. Behind Patty Mills, of course. I guess beyond that, you're really looking at, I don't know, is Cam Thomas is Cam Thomas going to get reps at the one or no? No, I think he's more of a two. I think that he's more in that Kyrie Irving, undersized shooting guard who can just light it up. So it doesn't matter that he's only 6'4". I mean, I guess five, you're going to say – yeah, sure. If you want to get super technical, just say the one. But, I mean, guard-wise, he's going to be behind Harden, Irving, Harris, Brown, Mills, 
and potentially Thomas. I guess him and Thomas are kind of competing for that fifth or sixth guard spot. But uh, uh, no, I'll give it a duh. I mean, it makes sense. He's 100% upgrade on, on Mike James. He's a big body. He's a good defender. And like I said before, I like Javon Carter. Um, he just needs a little more X factor. He needs a little more spontaneity in this game. All right. That does it for this week's episode of Fireside. No, I have one more thing. He's got one more thing. thing. Sure. Did you know that the Nets are the highest rated team in NBA 2K 2022? I did not, but that makes sense. So we're the highest rated team because we're the only team with three players over 90, which you can guess who they are. Durant 96 in the game, Harden 94, Kyrie Irving 91. People are arguing Durant should be a 99. I think he should. And then be. you have the Lakers second with LeBron, who's a 96. Should he be ranked same as Durant? I don't know. Anthony Davis a 93. And Westbrook was given an 86. Okay. In 2K22. Yeah, so he, I have he doesn't all the shoot rankings. the three, so I get it. I'm going to give you the rankings of each player on our roster right now. I'm going to go through them quickly. I want you to stop me or if there's any you disagree with. Okay. Go. Kevin Durant, 96. James right, Harden, 94. Irving, 91. LaMarcus Aldridge, 79. We have nobody in the 80s. It jumps from Irving, 91, to Aldridge, 79. Okay, see, so I that. agree I agree with the Aldridge grading, but I don't think that he's the fourth highest rated player, but go on. Joe Harris, 79. Bullshit. Higher or lower, you think? Should be higher. Should be 81, 82. He, he is one of the best three-point shooters in the league. Paul Millsap and Blake Griffin, both a 78. Wrong. Blake should be an 82, 83. Millsap should probably be like 75, 76. I agree with that. Bruce Brown, 77. Patty Mills, 77. Nick Claxton, 77. Okay, Claxton should be 73, 74. Mills should be 78, 79. I would give Brown an 80. I think I think Brown is an 80 player. You're being generous. Javon Carter and James Johnson, a 73. Yeah, fine, fine. DeAndre Bembry, 72. Okay. Cam Thomas, 71. All right. Dayron Sharp, 71. And Saku Demboya, 71. Yeah, the only ones I, I kind of have a problem with are would, would be Mills, Bruce Brown, and then Blake Griffin. Those are like – and Joe Harris. Those four guys I think should be rated higher. I think LeBron James should be a 95. I think he should be one step below KD right now. All times a totally different story, but right now KD is more dominant player than LeBron James. And the last fun fact I'll say about 2K22 – Yep. Harris leads us in three-point shooting with a 90. Durant's an 89. Harden's an 86. Joe Harris is tied with Seth Curry among deep shooters behind Steph and Clay, who are the top mm-hmm. two. And then KD and Seku Domboya are tied in dunking at an 85. Wow. Interesting. I wonder if they're going to talk about that come training camp, if, if KD is going to challenge Sequoia Domboya to a dunk-off. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Well, that's all I got. Uh, I think you should end it today. I've ended the past few. Yeah, I'll end it. So thanks for listening to Fireside Nets with Spen and Nick, brought to you by Empire Sports Media. I have a big basketball game tonight. Uh, It's my first uh, game, first of the season in our men's league in Hoboken. So wish me luck, Nick. Good luck, brother. You you hurt your ankle recently playing some ball with our cousin Ryan. So I'm wishing you a speedy and full recovery. Thanks, bud. I'll be right. And uh, as always, catch you on the fireside.